Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, today I'm going to talk about something that uh, I'm very familiar with, appetites. Has anybody ever been to the Maidrite shop in Greenville, Ohio? Anybody? Oh, them sandwiches are the bomb, aren't they? You need to try them sometime if you haven't. I hold the mock family record for eating nine of them in a single setting. No need to applaud. I'm, I'm very humble. Ironically, I met my wife for the first time at that place. It wasn't the same time I ate nine of them, in case you was wondering. You know, I once ate a pecan pie all by myself in one setting. I would not recommend that one. I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't very healthy. The bottom line is, I have an appetite, and as I get older, I realize that I need to be a little more responsible with how much or what I consume because I realize that my appetite can be very harmful to me. How I control my appetite can determine the quality of my life, my health, how I how I'm able to play with my grandkids, my lifespan. And the truth is, and this is what we're going to be focusing on today. This is the big idea for the day. I'm going to hit you with it early. Appetites have the potential to determine the direction and quality of our lives. Appetites have the potential to determine the direction and quality of our lives. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So appetites have the potential to determine the direction and the quality of our lives. And you know what? This is true for any appetites. Food is not the only thing that we crave. Food is not the only thing that we as humans hunger for. We have many appetites. Some of them you probably don't even think about much. We have an appetite for acceptance. And that desire, that hunger to be accepted, it makes us do things at times that we don't really want to do. But we want to be accepted. Maybe the people you're hanging out with, they're doing things and you want to fit in so... So you start doing those things too. You want to be one of the guys. You want to be one of the ladies. So you feel pressured into doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing. Or maybe you want a guy or a girl to like you so you feel pressured into doing something that that you know you shouldn't be doing yet. You know it's not a part of God's plan for your life right now. Or maybe it's even something like joining in on gossip and talking about someone or making fun of someone around with another group of people, ridiculing someone. Man, you want to be part of that gang. But you know it's not right. That's the appetite for acceptance. And it determines a direction. There's an appetite to succeed. And it can be powerful. Man, that desire to reach a certain goal. You want to move up the ladder. You want to work harder and harder because you want that big corner office. 
So, man, you put in the long hours. You focus on that one thing and you devote most of your time to it. And then one day you finally get it. And you realize your kids have grown up. Your marriage has fallen apart. It's like life passed you by. It wasn't really a fair trade. And you can never get those things back again. That's the appetite for success. And it can determine the direction and the quality of your life. Sex. It's a powerful appetite. You know that 35% of online searches are of erotic content? Over 60 million people do pornographic searches each day. A third of those are women. But can it determine the direction of your life? Well, the divorce rate in this country is just a little over 50%. And the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers report that 56% of divorce, so that's over half of all divorce cases, involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography. But can it determine the quality of your life? Well, 21 million adults and children are bought and sold worldwide in sex trafficking. So our appetites contribute to a sex industry that generates $97 billion a year. And here's a fact for you. You could put this in your pipe and smoke it. You're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And if you're one of these statistics, you're part of the problem. Your appetite's feeding this industry that's tearing up so many lives. Man, we all have appetites. We do. Whether it's that the appetite, the desire to eat something you shouldn't eat or see something you shouldn't see, watch something you shouldn't watch, do something you shouldn't watch. Appetites are powerful, but they have the potential to determine the direction and the quality of our lives. They shipwreck and sideline more people than anything else. You rule it or it rules you. So here's three things real quick that you need to know about appetites before I get into the scripture lesson today. The first one is this. God created them and sin distorted them. God created them and sin distorted them. Genesis 1 verse 29, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours to eat. So God created the appetite. Genesis 2 verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And you know this story. God put Adam in a deep sleep. God took the rib from Adam. Adam wakes up, he looks at her, and he says, Whoa, man. And woman became her name. So God created this appetite. God created the appetite for companionship. All the appetites that you experience, God created them, but sin distorted them. Here's the second thing you need to know. Appetites are never fully satisfied. 
appetites are never fully satisfied. Job 20 verse 20 says, Surely he will have no respite from his craving. He cannot save himself by his treasure. You see, appetites are never fully satisfied. And you know this. Because you've sat down before for a meal. You've eaten until you thought you were going to be sick. You've sat there and you've rubbed your belly and you said, I can't eat another bite. Ooh, caramel apple dumplings. Yes, please. Appetites are never fully satisfied. And it's the same way with sex and it's the same way with stuff. You see, the lie that you will be tempted to believe for the rest of your life is that there is something out here. There is someone out here that can fully satisfy your appetite, but there isn't. There's not enough attention. There's not enough kisses. There's not enough awards. There's not enough touchdowns. Ladies, there's not enough shoes. You never get to the point where you say, hmm, I think I'm done. Appetites are never fully satisfied. Here's the third thing you need to know. Appetites always whisper now, never later. Appetites always whisper now, never later. Proverbs 14, verse 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Appetites always say, trade the ultimate for the immediate. You know, when I was 18, I got the brilliant idea one cold winter evening that I should be living somewhere where it was warm. Never mind the furthest I'd been from home at that point was Indianapolis. But I had an idea. I had a craving for change. I had an appetite for a change of scenery. So I decided I wanted to live somewhere where there was sun and there was ocean. So my first thought was California. I mean, heck, I'd go to L.A. Sunset Strip, baby. I'll be a rock star. I had the look. Wish I still had that hair or 30 inch waist. But you know, the thing is, the musicians in LA in the late 80s and early 90s, they were good. I wasn't near good like that. So, plan B, Hawaii. I used to watch Magnum PI. The place looked sweet. So, I quit my job, I bought a ticket, I packed my bags, and I moved. To Hawaii. I'd never flown before. I had no idea how to navigate around airports, and the flight was like 16 hours of terror. But I made it to Honolulu. And then I started to think, where the heck am I going to live? How am I going to get around? I'd never even rode in a taxi before. Not to mention, I only had a few hundred bucks I had saved. Maybe I should have thought this through a little bit better. But you know what? We see stuff like this all the time. Maybe not quite that drastic, but we see things similar to this. The whole grass is greener on the other side. 
other places, with other people. You don't think about later, you think about right now. You make decisions to satisfy an appetite, not realizing how your decision is going to affect you later down the line or who it will affect. So you trade the ultimate for the immediate. So can you see how an appetite can determine the direction and the quality of our lives? Do you see how it can impact plans that God has for your life? What God wants to use you to accomplish? Man, God has huge plans for us. He has huge plans for every one of us. Some of you have no idea what God wants to do in your life. You have no idea how God wants to be able to use you in your schools and in your workplaces, in your families, in this community. You have no idea. And here's the thing, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss something that God has planned for you because of an appetite. And the truth is a lot of people miss it. They don't plan on missing it. But a lot of people miss it. Now I'm going to tell you a powerful story about missing it. It's found in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 25. It is the story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Now Jacob and Esau, they were twins, but they were very different. Esau, he was a warrior. Esau was an outdoorsman. He was like a hunter. And Jacob, Jacob, on the other hand, he was kind of at the other end of the spectrum. He was more of an inside person. He enjoyed cooking. He didn't really go out much. So they were very different. Now Esau was the oldest. Even though they were twins, Esau came out first. And that's what brings the tension to this story. You see, the centerpiece of this story is the idea of a birthright. Now, that's not really a part of our culture, but the birthright was something that was granted to the oldest son born into a family. No matter what the son was like, the oldest son, the firstborn, he got the birthright. And with this birthright came three very important things. One, if you got the birthright, you got a double portion of the inheritance, meaning you got at least twice as much as your brothers and sisters. You were going to be the richest of the kids. And if you came from a wealthy family like Jacob and Esau, man, that's a whole lot of wealth. Here's another thing. You got to be the judge of the family. With the birthright, you got to be the judge of the family. Came power. You see, once your parents died and there were any disagreements with the siblings, you got to be the judge. This wasn't a democracy. You said, here is what we are going to do. So besides wealth, with the birthright came power. Another thing, there was a blessing that came with the birthright. It was believed that God would bless the owner of the birthright. This was a blessing from God. So in the middle of this story is a desire for the younger brother to take the birthright from the older brother. And this kind of sets up the drama. 
this sets up the tension in this story. So I'm going to get into the story here. Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. says, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, remember that's what he did. He was the inside guy, the cook. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. So there's the appetite. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So we'll pause here for a second. If any of you have an older sibling or an older brother, you always know that the older brother, he never gets anything from the younger brother. I mean, it's the younger brother that gets the hand-me-downs. Older siblings usually don't even like their younger siblings. But every once in a while, every once in a while, very rarely, the older brother wants something from the younger brother. And when this happens, you kind of relish in that moment. You're like, man, he needs me. She needs me. And this becomes like a major moment of negotiation. These moments are so rare that you just kind of got to go for it. Now you go big or you go home. You start way up here and you work your way down. So the older brother goes to Jacob and he says, I want some of that stew. And the younger brother goes, okay, hmm. This is a rare moment. What can I take for this stew? Well, let's start with the most valuable thing. I'll take your birthright. And that's the next verse. In verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Now, this is where the story starts to get a little bit strange. Because from our perspective, we have to ask the question, who in their right mind would trade their birthright for a bowl of soup? Who would do that? Who would trade future wealth, power, and blessings for something as temporary as a bowl of soup? Who would do that? And the answer to this question is, you might. Some of you actually have, or you are right now. I see people do it all the time. You trade your career for a bottle. You trade your health for a habit. You trade your marriage for another man or another woman. You trade years of going to ball games. You trade years of going to recitals for something that's not even there anymore or for someone that's not even there anymore. So who would trade their birthright for a bowl of soup? People do it all the time. And sometimes we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decisions. How one decision we make changes everything. 
Keep following me here. Story goes on in verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? About to die? I need that. What good is a birthright to me? About to die? You walked in under your own power. You see, nothing is ever 100% truthful when an appetite's engaged, it isn't. I've always said there's only three things in this world that always tell the truth. A lie detector test, a drunk, and yoga pants. That's it. I'm about to die. I've got to have that. Does that sound familiar, though? I've got to have that. I've got to wear that. I've got to drive that. And the thing is, we've all been there. What good is a birthright to me? Man, it's worth a lot. But somehow, somehow in the moment Esau loses sight of how valuable the birthright is. Now, here's an interesting thing. Psychologists, they tell us that when your appetite gets stimulated, that there's actually change that happens in the brain. Whatever the appetite, when you get locked in on something, something happens in your brain, and it's called impact bias. You see, impact bias takes a simple appetite and it magnifies it out of proportion. See, when you go shopping, the people who market, they understand impact bias tricks your brain. It tells your brain that this thing, this person, this experience is going to be extraordinarily satisfying. It exaggerates the satisfaction that you will receive when you get it. That's why we have buyer's remorse. You think, man, I got to have it. I got to have it. Then you get it and you get it home. And two weeks later, you're like looking at it. And the credit card bill comes in and you're like, why did I do this? That's impact bias. You see, the other thing that happens in our brains is what's called focalism. Now, focalism focuses our minds on one thing and it blurs out everything else. Think about your first junior high or middle school crush. There she was. Three rows up. Man, everything else was blurred out except for her. Man, she was perfect. You was like oblivious to everything else because your brain has the ability to put everything else around you out of focus except one item, except for one person, except for one experience. See, your brain changes when an appetite's engaged. And this happens to every one of us because we have all experienced this before. But do you see how dangerous this can be? You see, that's why appetites are so dangerous. They have the potential to determine the direction and the quality of our lives. So keep following me here. We have Esau and his appetite for food. It's engaged Verse 33, but Jacob said, swear to me first. 
So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Now this is where I wish I could just hit pause in this story. Let everything just stop for a minute. That I could somehow magically appear in this story, in this moment, and somehow give Esau like a glimpse into the future. Help him experience a would-have, could-have, should-have moment where he could see the ramifications of a decision like this, a trade of this magnitude. Because if he could, he would see that he would eventually go on to have sons. And his sons would in turn have families and they would grow into a mighty nation. And they would become God's chosen people. And then he would see that one day God would raise up a man named Moses. God would raise up a deliverer named Moses and then God would show himself to Moses in a burning bush. And then the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth would introduce himself to Moses by saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau. Esau could just see into the future. If Esau could just see what's in store, Esau, God is going to introduce himself with your name unless you trade your birthright for a bowl of soup. Then not only that, 2,000 years after this moment with Moses, God's going to send his son into the world to save not just the nation that will be called Israel, but to save the entire world. And everyone will have the potential to have eternal life through his son. And his son will come straight from your bloodline, Esau. Straight through your lineage. And one of his followers will be named Matthew. Matthew, a tax collector. He's going to write a story about this man named Jesus. And in this story called the book of Matthew, Matthew will begin the greatest story that will ever be told in the history of stories like this. Abraham begot Isaac, begot Esau. From Esau came the Messiah, the Son of God. Esau, I know you're hungry, but do you want to trade all of that? For a bowl of soup? Do you want to let your appetite at this moment change the course of history? Because if you do, if you do, God will introduce himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of your little brother Jacob. 
And Matthew will introduce the Savior through Jacob. Oh, man, and I'm guessing in that moment. Man, just the, just the knowledge of what God would have done, could have done through Esau would have stopped him dead in his tracks. But I wasn't there to help him through this. And friends, a lot of times, nobody's going to be there to help you through it either. Because we all have moments like Esau. Man, it's right there. It's right there and I want it. But you have no idea sometimes what hangs in the balance of those decisions. You have no idea what God might do through you if you just surrender those appetites to Him and you live fully for Him. Where the story continues in verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. He ate and he drank and the stew was gone and so was the birthright. And his destiny was changed forever because of an appetite that he couldn't control. And every single day of your life, you will be tempted to trade your future for something as meaningless as a bowl of soup. So I got to ask, what's your bowl of soup? What's your bowl of soup? If you were to say, God... What am I doing that may impact the plans that you have for my life? I have a feeling most of you probably already know it. You already know. And you have to ask, is this worth trading my future for? Is it worth trading the ultimate for the immediate? And you have to look at what's at stake. And as we've learned today, there's a lot at stake. And don't underestimate what God wants to do in your life. You know that God's given each one of us a birthright. God's given each one of us a blessing, a plan to do great things in his name. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now I told you earlier that you will be tempted to believe that there's something out there, someone out there that can fully satisfy your appetite. And I told you that there isn't. But there is. 
In John 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty again. Well, we are going to end today by taking communion together. So if there's anyone that did not receive a communion cup as you came in, just raise your hand and a greeter will get you one. We've got somebody up here, so let's get it to them. Anybody, if you want to participate, just raise your hand if you ain't got one. On the live stream, if you want to participate as well, just get a cracker or a piece of bread and something to drink and you can do it with us. Now, first, before we do this, I just want to take a moment, like 45 seconds, just a a minute to to be able to examine ourselves because 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28 says this, but let a person examine himself and in this way let him eat from the bread and let him drink from the cup. So I just want us all to have just a moment with God. See if there's anything that we may be doing that's standing in the way of what he's doing. And if there is, just confess it to him and ask for forgiveness. So let's dim the lights down. Let's take a minute. Let's go before God. And then we can partake in communion with clean hands and a pure heart. So let's have a minute. Bring the lights back up. I now invite you to take this cup and peel off the clear plastic. It's the one on the very top. During what is known as the Last Supper, the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and broke it. He said, this is my body which was given for you. Do this to remember me. So I invite you to take and eat of the bread. I invite you to peel off the other plastic layer. In the same way... He took a cup and he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. So I invite you to drink the cup. Let's stand and close in prayer.
bow our heads. Well, dear God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for loving us so much. You did the unthinkable. God, you sent your son Jesus into the world to take the punishment that we deserve. To be the sacrifice that atones for our sins. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a free gift of grace you've blessed us with so we can have eternal life with you. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for this sacrifice, for this cost. Your body broken, your blood shed. That we honor, that we remember today. And if there's anyone here today that's never accepted this gift and you're ready to say yes, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. You can say it in your heart. We can all say it out loud together. But if you're ready to say yes to making Jesus the Lord of your life, yes to securing your eternal salvation, repeat after me, dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to bring me new life. I confess him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.